You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi folks, and welcome to episode 48 of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bushots, and this is the show for August 2017. Joining me today, I have an absolutely fabulous panel uh, from all over the English-speaking world, apart from a whole bunch of places. Uh, from not very far away from me at all, uh, also in Ireland, I have Dermot Daly from Tapadu back with us again. Hi Dermot. Hi, how are you? I am doing just fine, and thank you for joining us again. I'm delighted to be here. Excellent. From a little bit further afield, the other side of the Irish Sea, we're also joined by the wonderful Gazmas from the My Mac Podcast. Hi, Gaz. Hello. Good evening. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good um, good day. And good night, I guess. Uh, goodbye. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's not jump the gun quite that much. And then joining us from much, much further away on the other side of the other ocean that's on the other side of Ireland, we have uh, Adam Christensen from the MacCast back with us again. Hi, Adam. Hey. How you doing? It's been a while since we've had your uh, lovely voice on our show, probably because it's been a while since I've offered a recording time midweek at the same time for Americans. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It just I've been things have been busy around here too, so that's that's part of it. I think you know, as with podcast scheduling, you know, it's always a little bit tricky, especially with that whole Atlantic Ocean and most of another continent in the way. It it does it does, it does rather right. change things, right? Are you, I think you're eight hours away from me. Yeah, we're minus eight, I believe. Yeah. Anyway, we have, despite it being the summer months, there was still some Apple stuff going on. There'll be a bit more Apple stuff going on in September, probably. But nonetheless, given that this is usually the silliest month of the year for news, it wasn't completely and utterly silly. Uh, We have some follow-up stories from stuff we talked about last time. So the saga, which I'm sure is going to drag on for a very long time, between Qualcomm and Apple, had a a minor development over the month of August. The US International Trade Commission, the ITC, has agreed that it will investigate Qualcomm's claims that Apple is in breach of its patents. That doesn't mean it will find anything, but it's going to go have a little look-see anyway. So we'll stay tuned and see how that one continues to develop. And we also talked... If not last time, then the time before, but we definitely spoke before about a court, a very tragic court case where a young American uh, chap was killed in a car accident and the driver who was responsible for the accident, it was found out from records afterwards, was using his cell phone at the time of the accident and that cell phone happened to be made by Apple Inc. And his distraught family decided that Apple were somehow to blame for that as opposed to the gum bean who happened to be using his phone instead of paying attention to where he was driving. Uh, Obviously, my personal feelings are that uh, personal responsibility here. It's not Apple's fault that some gobshite used their phone wrong. Um, You know, people who make chainsaws aren't responsible for everything any idiot does with a chainsaw. Anyway, a court sees things the way I see things and have dismissed the lawsuit. Anyone want to argue with me on this one? Am I being too strong in my... Uh, nope. Striving? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're not going to get any arguments here. Okay, I guess I'll, I'll play devil's advocate against myself very slightly. One of the arguments they have is that Apple patented a technology which in theory could stop a phone being used while the car is driving and they didn't put it out and therefore it's their fault. I think... Yeah, well, and it, 
it's I don't know I didn't look that specific patent, but we also know with iOS 11 we get do not disturb while driving. So yeah, you know it's obviously something Apple has been been thinking about. But again, this comes down to personal accountability and responsibility when it comes to something like liability. Unfortunately, here in the U.S. I think more than many other places with lawsuits, sometimes logic goes way out the window. And at least here, it seems like it prevailed. I was going to say it, it you, I mean, the headline here is that someone was tragically killed and that's hmm. still the case. It would have been better if the family had tried to make more awareness that this is what can happen if you're not paying the correct attention rather than trying to. And I think in other countries that may have happened, but even in the UK, you still get, you know, the, oh, it's somebody's fault, it's somebody's fault, and it's, uh, unfortunately, we're going down that avenue, but uh, much better attention. It is somebody's fault, the driver. Yeah, yeah, I know. Who's paid the ultimate price, Bart? Well, unfortunately not. I mean, the, the person who was killed was not the person who was texting. Ah, right. Sorry, I misread it then. I misread yeah, so it. Yeah. So, a young guy was killed when so, someone so, who yes, was texting. Totally, yeah. then, to, then I totally agree with you. Yeah. Um, you know, um, Barton, last month we've been working on a project uh, which was released here in Ireland, uh, which, which is taking more of a carrot approach. And uh, we've built an app for iOS and Android that detects when you're driving and your device is face down. And what I it heard does that on the radio. Is, I heard that loads yeah, of ads yeah. for that app. Yeah, it's it's on it's on heavy rotation at the moment. Um, so basically, what it does is it awards you points for not picking up your phone while driving, um, and you can quite quickly start getting rewards, things like free coffees and so on. So, um, rather than taking the stick approach, it's taking the carrot approach, yeah. and um, it's had very good uptake. And I know that the uh, the client of ours is very happy with the amount of safe miles people have put up as a result of the app. That's pretty damn yeah. cool. It, the other the other thing the other side of this too that that should be i think more strongly pushed especially here again i don't know how it is in other countries but i can say in the us is like in california we have they passed laws against using and holding your devices while driving and all these things and many many states have done that the problem is is that the enforcement is so light the penalties are so light that most people don't really care so I think a big part of this, too, is cracking down and when someone is found to be guilty of causing a death, especially, or just any kind of accident while using a device, which is already illegal, mm. the penalties, I think, are going to need to get much stiffer. Yeah. And then maybe people will wise up. You know, unfortunately, sometimes it takes it takes that <laughs> that kind of stick approach to 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 get people to stop doing what they're doing. But, you know, people Man's still grab for that cell phone all the time. Do get brought over here for things like that. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it, it may need to get to the point where it's mandatory jail time and things like that, not just a slap on the wrist, pay a couple hundred bucks. Well, well no, no, but manslaughter charges is, is what, what happens in Europe. That That's, that's an right. awful, awful lot more than the slap on the wrist. Oh yeah. 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 And I, I again, this guy may still be facing is may still be facing those charges, but, you know, even I'm I'm saying even and we need to get to the point where even if you're just caught, it can't just be, you know, right, I, th- yeah. I think it's not strong enough to say pay 100 bucks or 150 bucks because people just won't care. 
Dermot, am I correct that it's points that you can you can get penalty points here? So we we like the UK of a system where if you get caught doing naughty things, you get penalty points on your license, and if you get to tw- if you collect twelve of them, you get to be disqualified from driving. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure it's two penalty points for having for being uh, for using. A mobile device, basically. I believe while it's driving. two penalty points in your cut. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I'm not sure. And while driving means when you're stopped at a set of lights, you know, you shouldn't pick up your phone and start checking your Facebook feed either. Yes. So, <laughs> you're still in control you know, of the vehicle, in theory. Here's yeah. the thing, though. Again, even that seems too minor because, as far as I know, many, many studies have shown that basically using a mobile device while driving is almost equivalent to or is equivalent to being drunk while driving. Yeah. And Bear in the mind, penalties Adam, are very different. Here, your insurance company is informed when you get penalty points, and your insurance premium will go right. up. If you so, if you get penalty points, your insurance will go up. Yeah, and they last for—is it five years? And you get to rack up twelve of them. So if you're caught speeding, it's four. It's like it's—it's it's not the a penalty friend, points a friend, are serious enough. Yeah, a friend of mine was caught on camera. He always puts his seatbelt on uh, at the end of his road. <laughs> he was caught on camp at the court yeah for some not always at the end of the road but he often you know then turns on before he's driving and goes off on the main roads however there was a camera which caught him without his seatbelt on he's got three penalty points he won't do it again yeah 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 so you know more proactive and more serious deterrence i think are uh, another thing that we could enact that could help minimize this uh, uh, you know apart from trying to go after the the companies who make the technology right yeah. and the was it the catchphrase or something like let's face down uh, texting yeah. while face, driving or something is that face it down is what it's called is the campaign uh, face it down is what they're calling it yeah and if you were to search for the app in the app store, you'd look for an app called Face It Down, I guess? Face It Down, yeah, you will find it, yeah. yeah perfect. Um, cool. I, it may only be in the Irish app store, I'm guessing, since this is an Irish it, campaign. It's only in the Irish app store, yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, I'll, our Irish listeners should do so. Free coffee. That's I'll, I'll take free coffee for turning my phone down. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, before we get stuck into the bigger news stories, just uh, some notable staff changes at Apple. Uh, a chap called Matt Chernis, who is a former vice president of what I believe to be a US TV network called WGN America, has joined mm-hmm. Apple as head of US programming for Apple Music. So that's another big entertainment name by the sounds of things. Adam, WGN yep. America, are they big, small? Um, it, it's pretty big. They they were a local regional but uh, back, I think, I want to say they're around Chicago, but the way distribution and stuff works here is you have networks who will produce things and then they syndicate and they produce and are sold off to other networks and bigger things. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, I don't know the staple of shows that they've produced or put together, but I'm sure some of them are, are national shows. Right. And so if this guy was CEO of this company, he's obviously he knows his way around the entertainment industry. Right. But I mean, they also recently hired two vice president or two presidents from Sony as yeah. well that are all part of that. So I mean, Apple is getting pretty darn serious. And you know, one of the latest rumors too is that they're um, considering buying office space at Culver Studios, which is a big, famous old uh, movie studio where they yeah. shot uh, Gone Gone with the Wind and 
um, also The Matrix, I think, and some other films and things like that. So. Now, there were rumors, and I didn't put them in the show notes because this isn't a rumor show. I, I like to do things when it's actual news instead of when it might be news in the future. Sure. But uh, was it the Washington Post or the New York Times? One of the big papers in America also reported that Apple have a budget of a billion, was it a billion dollars they were going off shopping yep. with for making content? Yes, one, one billion with a B. Yeah, which sounded big. Bridget. And then someone said, yeah, but Netflix is spending seven billion with it. Yeah, and I think Amazon spends around three and a half, four, something like that. But I mean, that's not for Apple's first <laughs> first year out doing this. Mm-hmm. That's that's a significant spend. It's it's not that's not minuscule. So no, that's not chump change. Even for Apple, that's not chump change. Right. Uh, also, apparently, 17 auto engineers sorted off from Project Titan to go join a startup called Zooks, Z-O-O-X. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not really sure what to read into that, given that Project Titan is a, is a complete black box to us. It's like some people have left the project we don't understand to go do something else. Okay. Um, <laughs> the the consensus around here is that the reasoning is there was a, there was half the team that sort of was really into Apple actually creating a vehicle, creating a car. Mm. And when they pivoted and decided, no, we're going to do autonomous systems, which Apple has come out and publicly said, yes, we're working on autonomous systems. Um, A lot of the people that they had hired during the big hiring spree uh, that we had heard rumors about for Project Titan, a lot of those people just went, no, that's not really what I want to do. I want to build I want to build something. I want to engineer and build a vehicle. So a lot of them are just jumping ship to go to companies that are actually working on actual cars. That makes sense, really. So when Bob Mans, we know Bob Mansfield came in, we know Bob Mansfield changed the direction of the project. So I guess it makes sense that if if your project changes your staff. You're going to have people coming in going. Yes. So I don't yeah, think this is anything be- serious. Uh, you know, I think this is just people going, oh, I, I took this job thinking I was going to do one thing. Now I'm not going to be doing that thing. I need to go find another company that's doing the thing I want to do. Cool. Yeah, th- those people mentioned in that article were all um, ex-Detroit car people, you know, proper car people, if you like. So yeah. um, I don't think there's much of a story there. Good. That's what I thought. It's great to hear that confirmed. Um, and finally then, something which is public, definitely not, we definitely know what we make of this. Craig Federici is now officially the person in charge of Siri at Apple, taking over from Eddie Q. And this apparently has been practically the case for some time, because it was actually Craig who talked about Siri at the last keynote, and not Eddie. And now it's official on Apple's uh, bio, or uh, the uh, senior executive bio pages on their website so craig federici running siri and i kind of think that makes sense i personally i i don't think eddie q does a good job of running software he didn't do a good job running the app store i don't think he was doing a good job on siri i'm glad to see eddie q focusing on what he's good at which is buying stuff not running software yeah this is this is i i think what you're seeing here is the divisions in a couple areas are kind of fall in a gray area, right? Because Federighi is software and EddieQ is services. And so when they first acquired Siri, they kind of looked at Siri as a service. And so technically it fell under Eddie. But I think as it's progressed and become more about the software and artificial intelligence and those sorts of things, they realize, oh, it's really a better fit under the software side, even though there still is a services component to it. Um, and it's interesting because I'm, I'm curious how much longer, because Eddie is still in charge of maps. Um, I could see that <laughs> switching over at some point, too, because, again, maps kind of a service, but probably more about the software. 
Yeah, and was it um, Phil Schiller took the App Store off EDQ? It was Phil Schiller, wasn't it? It was Phil, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and again, that was badly needed because the App Store was an awful, awful piece of software. Now, if someone could take iTunes off whoever is running that and write a proper app, that'd be nice. So Eddie doesn't have the App Store? Nope. No, that went huh. to that went to yeah, that went to Phil Schiller a year and a half ago or so, and since then we've had some actual positive developments for developers. Yeah, yeah, the, the App Store on iOS 11 is significantly different um, from iOS 10. Um, those of you who run the betas will know this, obviously, but um, you know it's a couple of weeks away, but it's significantly better. It's doing some good stuff around things like App of the Day, and that, that that's actually changing every day and so on. Cool. Excellent. Uh, I think Eddie's still the App Store. Um, I'm fairly according certain. to Apple's leadership. According to Apple's leadership page, unless it changed, maybe you're right. Well, no, there was a whole big thing, and uh, when they were talking to the, 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 the sit-down interviews with John Gruber, they talked about it, and they changed a whole bunch of stuff from developers, like um, of the ability for people to answer back to reviews and stuff. That's all come about under. Oh, I, you know, I might be thinking iTunes still. Yeah, iTunes rather than the App Store. Which those are really separate things, right? Yeah, exactly. Basically, Eddie Q seems to be good at dealing with the entertainment industry, but he doesn't (laughs) seem to be very good at running software. And so I'm just delighted that they take software away from him and let him do what he's good at. And I think, again, with the with the App Store thing, it's it was a marketing thing, which is why iOS 11 is so much more focused on the marketing side of the app ecosystem. Yeah, which is Phil Schiller's wheelhouse. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so into the main stories, and some some months the main stories are like single stories. This this month's main stories are more themes that I've cobbled together from multiple stories. So the first theme that really struck me as I was wading my way through my Instapaper folder of Apple News for the month of August is that we continue to see Apple's engagement with the public change under Tim Cook. <laughs> Under uh, Steve Jobs, Apple was politically quiet, even if I'm sure Steve Jobs himself was not politically quiet, and I'm sure he gave lots of money and did lots of things. But Tim Cook is a much more, I wouldn't use the word activist, but much more socially engaged CEO than his predecessor. And the news. Uh, he's much more vocal. Yeah, yeah. And the, the news this month, I think, if I'm going to just read through the, the the stories I've collected together, and then we can we can discuss it. But I think there's a theme that sort of comes out of them. So we have a letter from Tim Cook to all Apple employees, where he strongly spoke out in the aftermath of Charlottesville, uh, and he made so. I mean, he didn't mention the president by name, but he made some pretty pointed comments about people supporting neo Nazis. Um, it was pretty obvious what he was getting at. And he also said that Apple would be donating, in fact did donate, to two anti-hate groups, the Southern Poverty Law Center and the Anti-Defamation League, and also opened up direct donations to the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center through iTunes. Then we got news breaking a few days later that Apple had removed Apple Pay support from a couple of websites because they sold hate-related paraphernalia. And... um, then Tim Cook went on to do an interview with the New York Times where he, he explained that he believed that it was a company's job not just to make money, but also to make society better. And you can sort of see Apple living up to that or living out that vision, I guess. 
And then when Hurricane Harvey happened, again, Tim Cook wrote a letter to all employees, um, made it clear how Apple was helping down in Houston, where they actually have a fairly large facility. And then at the end of the month, Apple also urged the U.S. Federal Communications Commission to establish stronger net neutrality protections in the face of what's expected to be a strong weakening um, under the current uh, head there of that section. So all of that happened in August, just one month. And that's quite a lot of being... I mean, it's not party political, but it is engaging in the Mm. body politic. I mean, he's not Democratic or Republican, but it is the public sphere. It is the public space, which is it's political, but not with a capital P. And unfortunately, the the word politics is considered to be like an insult in some places. I don't mean it in that way. It's political in the true sense of the word, not in the party political. This is a game sense of the word. So how do people feel about it? I think he's he's uh, he he didn't do the ultimate move that some of the other CEOs did, which I think was interesting to watch. Um, and I don't know if the um, if the council he was on, the the kind of advisory board he was on to the president, is still is that the one that was disbanded? I'm not really sure. Yes, right? it collapsed but basically. It, they yeah, all right, so it's, off. The, it's the one that collapsed, right? But um, I, I I thought it was kind of interesting to see would. Uh, would Tim Cook publicly say, I'm going to pull out of this? Um, and I think probably um, disbanding that body probably served him some blushes there. But uh, I think you're absolutely right. right? So he's showing up a lot of, uh, if you like, humanist or, you know, very, very good social. Uh, and I <laughs> I mean social rather than socialist. I know socialist is almost a dirty word in, in the US, but uh, he, he's shown some certainly social sides or, or caring about society. Um, but I do think it's interesting that he didn't um, pull out of the technology forum. Yeah, and he's never he's never mentioned a political party. He's never mentioned the politician. He's just basically said Apple is in favor of equality. Apple is against hate. So it's sort of a very positivist, this is what we stand for. You know, we believe that diversity makes us stronger. And, I mean, we can all read between the lines. I mean, he's he, he's in favor of the DREAM Act. He's in favor of immigration. He's he's in favor of equality for everyone. And um, he's against discrimination against transgender people. I mean, it's, it's clearly liberal with in the in a sense of socially liberal um but not overtly party political and not getting into the point of saying vote for this guy vote for that guy which is probably good because I, I don't think i'd want to see him become like a meg whitman or something and become party it's a, it's political a, yeah it's 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 too much of a fine line to well he he he's treading a, a fine line and treading it well i think yeah, um, and and if he does anything else it's just going to come across as partisan which he really doesn't need to be in right so he's not in the political business he's in the he's in in the business business right so uh, i think he's playing this one right yeah it's whether he treads that little bit further one thing i was going to ask but was mm-hmm. it, if somebody started from a, a um, uh, an overseas 
large companies started making similar statements about the country that you live in. Um, as long as they don't overstep the line, would any notice be taken of that person? So he's doing it in the right environment, uh, but I'm just trying to work out if there's – I'm trying to be devil's advocate, as it were, and find out whether there's anything bad in this process. And the only thing I can think of is if he starts over overstepping the line and starts to make statements which could be heard as uh, politically incorrect in, in other countries. But from all of the statements he's made here and everything that where he's going, I totally agree. agree. Um, he's he's treading a very fine line extremely well, I think. And the things he's saying are actually not controversial, right? No, the vast no. majority of people are in favor of equality in America too. I mean, he... He he's out of step with a lot of politicians, but I don't think he's out of step with nearly as many Americans, which is obviously a very different thing. Well, we, it, that's how it seems to us. Of course, not being Americans, we can't really make that statement. I'm, I'm yeah. rather hoping all, if I all say I can add to that is you. If, I'm rather hoping <laughs> if I drop a clanger, Adam will 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 pipe up and say, "Bart, you're talking absolute poop." Well, I. I... It's tricky. It's complicated. Ooh, you know, when we're when we're talking about this stuff, and I want to be very careful about what I'm saying. Um, but I mean, the political climate here in the U.S. since the election has been Toxic. rough. It's bad. It's bad here right now. Let's let me just say that. Um, it's called a charged. On yeah, it's very charged up. That's a that's a very good way to to put it. So it's even he has to be even more sensitive. And I would agree he's doing a pretty good job, actually an excellent job. Um, but as far as the statement, like there's definitely people in this country that don't share the values that that no. Tim Cook, unfortunately. Uh, that don't share the values that Tim Cook is throwing out there. I think it's not a large percentage, but um, I think I think many Americans agree with all those values. But I don't know that I can say most. Unfortunately, that there's obviously a big contingent that doesn't because of what we're dealing with right now. And and the the sad part about the political climate right here now is that it's. It's causing a lot of these groups and people to come out of the woodwork now. And and that's what's creating the more charged climate. And you're looking around going, wow, I had no idea it was this bad. So it, it's tricky. It's, it's really tricky. And from Apple's side of things, um, I think the, the good news is I don't know that there's a, a detriment to their business for Tim Cook coming out and speaking out on the thing on the things that he's speaking out on. Yeah, because I don't think anyone was going, oh, how dare you stand up for the victims of Harvey? Correct. I also don't think there were a lot of people... And most Americans are not going to. Yeah, and I don't think there were a lot of people that I, you know, would be against his standing up for trans rights or stuff like that. So I, I don't... The things yeah, he was speaking the, on aren't... They're not third yeah, the, rail things anymore. Right. The, 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 the trickiest one, the, the finest line, I think, is the immigration line. Here and that's that's the that's the most difficult one because there's so many nuances to it. Strangely, though, like from so, the point of view, if I was a shareholder, that's actually the most clear-cut one, because for Apple's bottom line, it's vital that Apple continue to have access to the talent from all around the world they have access to at the moment. So, ironically, for a publicly traded company, that's probably the least controversial, even though it is the most politically charged, the most emotive, the most. 
Well, and it Dangerous, depends on what, what yeah. aspect of that debate that you're talking about, too. Because yeah, like the Dream Act, from Apple's fiscal point of view, is only possibly a good thing. But it's a very controversial thing outside of cold, hard money. If you saw a massive rush of shares disappearing from the organization because of disagreement of the, the, the route that he's taking, um, he may be quieter. May be quieter. I'm not saying he would. I don't know. Um, no, well, no, 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 I know, I know. But that's why I said he may be quieter. And I, I personally agree with you, Bart. But again, devil's advocate. Sure. Um, um, but... I don't think we are seeing that. So, you know, the share, certainly the shareholders are going to be um, air quotes on side for the message that he's delivering. Uh, and again, I, I, I agree. It's difficult. That's why I kind of raised the question about how would we feel in our countries if um, a Tim Cook um, large organization CEO started making statements about things that were happening in our country. And that's, that's, it's difficult for us then to reverse ourselves and, and be in Adam's shoes, as it were. But we do see that, right? I mean, people in the business world are involved in our political discourse, just like they are. Uh, uh, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Business leaders are leaders in the community, just like leaders of all sorts of organizations are. Yes, they are, but they're not. I suppose it's because we don't deem them to be quite as high profile as Tim Cook and, and the Apple organization. True. There is no, yeah, there is no Irish equivalent of Apple. That is, that is a true <laughs> statement. Well, there's Apple. <laughs> <laughs> yes, which is controversial for I mean, all they sorts have, of they reasons. They have their own political country. stuff going on in Ireland at the moment too, right? So. Well, they're not. It's, I think it's fair to say most Irish people aren't don't find it controversial, but the rest of the world certainly finds it controversial that we lure companies over here with friendly tax rates. <laughs> encourage, encourage, uh, not lure. Inc- My apologies. <laughs> Entice. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, I mean, but everybody does that, too. I mean, that's another yeah. political thing that's happening in this country, too. We have the, the new Iowa plant. They announced that they were opening up and, and they've done a huge tax deal there. And there's a lot of politi- political charged, politically charged um, conversation going on over that, too. So, yeah, I mean, actually, we may as well just skip to that now. That was down as a quick story. So. Oh, sorry. No, 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 not sorry at all. It's great when they come up uh, uh, dynamically because otherwise I just end up listing them at the end of the show. So, I mean, you're talking 200 million worth of tax breaks. In exchange for that, Apple are putting a 100 million public investment fund. So I guess that means it's technically only a $100 million tax credit. So basically, Apple give the people in the state $100 million worth of stuff. The state give Apple $200 million worth of tax cuts. So Apple's a million dollars up. But they also bring in lots of jobs, so the state's better off because they have the jobs. So it's a very interesting political game, depends right? On, depends on what you say by lots of jobs. See, that's that's where mm-hmm. the political charge stuff comes into play because mm-hmm. we, um, during construction and, and things like that, yes, uh, I think I, I should have I should have had the number right in front of me, but I believe the number of long term jobs is something like fifty. That's direct jobs. Yes, direct long term jobs. From just that facility. So some people look at that and go, well, 100 million times 50 jobs is, you know. Yeah, but just because you have a tax break doesn't mean you don't pay any tax. So the state. Right. No, no, no. I'm totally. There's quite a bit of money moving around in there. 
I'm just presenting sure. where the arguments are coming from. I'm not I'm not taking sides in the argument, just to be clear. Yeah. Um, so it it gets, you know, anytime tax breaks are given by a city or something like that, there are people that are going to be um, angry and upset. Uh, overall, I see it all as a positive. You know, I think it's just what you do. And it's what has been done for at least here in the States. It's done all the time. Yeah. Um, companies in, in states are always vying to get large companies because guess what? There's a halo effect that happens too. Apple comes in and creates a plant there and, and creates a facility there. And then other companies go, hey, well, maybe we should look at maybe we should look at that area for our new tech center or our new thing. Apple's there. Well, right. It's an infrastructure, so, right? And then other people piggyback it, it brings the in additional infrastructure. Yeah, there's all companies. kinds of benefits that, you know, again, people don't look into. They, they just see the number and they see the number of jobs and they go, OK, well, that was a bad deal. And it's like you, you don't really understand all the nuances. Right. And if I can play devil's advocate then, because there is another downside that you can very easily argue, which is jurisdiction shopping. Where you end oh, up, yeah, that happens all the time. Yeah, so you basically end up with the worst possible corporate governance because the state with the quote-unquote best from the point of view of the company, which is probably the worst from the point of view of the civilians, generally speaking, ends up winning. So on average, less regulation, wish, more pollution, yada, yada, yada. So there's swings I and wish, roundabouts. I wish I could remember the company, um, but um, the state there's, there's a, two business centers on the state line between um, Missouri and Illinois and that's exactly what happens is they they two and there's a big corporation and it's moved back and forth across the highway basically oh, i believe three or four times and it just depends on whichever state will give them the better tax break in a given year and wow. it's easy for them to move i mean it's just down one building across the road and up the other building so the only person who wins there is the removal company with their vans who just come out <laughs> well moving again are we okay <laughs> so yeah that definitely that sort of thing definitely goes on and, but i mean it's 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 part of business and how business is done so it's just interesting to see when the when these things happen again i think because in a lot of ways well it's apple and they're the largest you know the largest depending on time uh of year or time of month the largest company in in the world right so and we should also say that many people would argue that Apple is not so snow white when it comes to morality because not paying a lot of tax is arguably not pulling your weight socially. So the, you could level the argument that, oh, yeah, sure, you're saying all the right things about trans rights and gay rights and minority rights and so forth. But how is it about paying your taxes? So, you know, they're, at the end of the day, they're still a company. They're not some sort of charity. Right. And they're also beholden to shareholders being a public company, which complicates things even further for them. So, you know, even even if Tim Cook personally would be like, oh, I'm willing to pay more tax, I will, you know, give up this money. The shareholders are not going to, you know, not going to be too thrilled about that. And yeah. I don't even know legally if he could. Right. There Arguably would be he lost. couldn't because no. he has a fiduciary duty yeah. under U.S. law. And I think Steve exactly. Jobs said it right. Was it Steve Jobs or Tim Cook who testified in front of Congress and basically went, we're paying exactly as much tax as your laws say we should. If you don't like right. it, you need to change the laws. You're the lawmaker. That was Tim Cook, yeah. Well, it was Tim, okay. Um, it was yeah. so direct I thought it was Steve. But, I mean, that's sort of my opinion. For a politician to complain about companies not paying enough tax when they're the lawmakers, that's yeah. like, yeah, guys, get your own house in order. Anyone else want to chime in before we leave the uh, marshy world of the, politics behind? 
the only thing I'd say is we've got an, uh, something similar happening also in Ireland with regard to a data centre. Um, Apple have been trying to build one out in Galway somewhere, I believe, uh, for the last number of years, and it's been uh, blocked um, on environmental grounds. Uh, but it seems to be by one individual, actually. Um, but uh, that individual is using the law to prevent it from happening, and there has been legal wranglings for the last number of years on this. Yeah, good old nimbyism in full swing here. Ireland, I'm afraid to say, it's very, 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 very easy to object to things here on the basis of sod all. Yeah, but anyway, that's uh, we're not going to solve that one, unfortunately. <laughs> okay, uh, we have survived a potential minefield here, I think, with a positive and good, sane, rational conversation. I'm sure some listeners disagree with their opinions, but I, I'm hoping everyone agrees we were civil about it. So let's move on to a much more positive sphere, education. Apple does seem to... I remember when I was a kid, Apple were synonymous with education. And then they sort of forgot about education when the iPod came along, I think. And now they seem to be refocusing back to education. So this month, again, we had two, what I think are related stories anyway... So Apple made a deal with more than 30 30 U.S. college systems to teach Swift, or rather app development through Swift, to over 74,000 students in the U.S. And they've also added support for uh, Sphero's R2-D2 robot into their Swift playgrounds, which is a great way to get young people playing around with programming. So I, as a you know, an IT person myself, I'm obviously delighted to see Apple put their energies into teaching STEM-style topics. So I'm I'm happy with this kind of thing. I, I was at an I was at an event uh, just I'd say maybe six or eight weeks back, um, where Apple were talking a little bit about um, what they have done. It was one of the reseller events, in fact, but there were some people from Apple Education there. Um, and they had a, a teacher who was highlighting he teaches it in a school in Northern Ireland. He teaches Swift through playgrounds, and he had some Sphero devices and so on that he's been using. Uh, but what was very interesting to see is Apple have published uh, you know, a curriculum for teaching mm. Swift. They've published, um, all free, by the way, um, books for teachers, teaching guides, exam guides, all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, if, if you have a... It, Today, literally, if you have a suitably uh, enthusiastic teacher or suitably interested teacher, uh, they could teach Swift completely today. It's it's quite impressive, actually, what they've produced here. And I I work in the education uh, sphere. I I work for a third-level institution. And I've had first-hand experience of looking at the Apple Schools offering that Apple have to help you manage groups of... um, students and groups of iPads and groups of Macs and things. And that 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 sort of software as a service or whatever you want to call it, that platform is actually really quite nice and it's, it's developing quite well. And it's it's quite a resource actually to offer out to um, schools and universities. So it's obvious that they're putting serious resources into this because you don't develop a big system like schools at apple.com without serious effort. Yeah, and I, I was also at an event at um, at WDC, um, and it was it was dubbed uh, about being about kiosk modes for for iPad, and they showed three or four different ways that you can configure iPads 
depending on whether they are managed devices or not mm. for kiosks. But what I hadn't realized, and a, a fair deal of the talk was put was held over for this, was um, uh, it, there's some very very good stuff for managed devices for schools, and it's things like things that wouldn't jump to mind straight away. So, for example, uh, you can configure up your iPad, uh, your your class real estate, so to speak, such that they are now in testing mode. So your app is the only app that's in the. Um, the only app that's in the foreground but not only that you can't flick to say safari and look up an answer on on wikipedia and stuff like that. things that i hadn't really thought about that i just thought you know you hand out your device and say there's a test on this go do it but obviously there's lots of other things you have to do around locking it down and there's some great offerings there as well it's and if you're not in the educational sphere you probably don't realize that these things are here but um you know, if you are, if you do work in the educational sphere, I'd urge people to go have a look at what's out there. It's quite impressive. For so a start, a... you have the ability to have one iPad shared by multiple students. Like, we as consumers don't get to see multi-user iPads. Education have multi-user iPads. Different students can log in to their iPad like you log into your Mac and get their apps and their stuff on the same iPad. I keep on hoping that a family product will just magic into the App Store one day because clearly the technology is there. I see it. I see it in the real world, in the education sphere, but it, it has not come out of that sphere into family. I'm assuming that um, all of this educational um, resource is available worldwide to those schools that wish to go and get it. Yeah. But what the what Apple are doing, and I assume that this is, again, a, a probably a political um, positioning, um, and I, I could be wrong, so please correct me if I am, but it's only in the US where they're really going out to a, actually no, do I'm correct you, links you're wrong. You're wrong. Okay. Um, well, we, we, I did we say at the start, please correct no, no, me. No, we, we had a project in the university, and there was a staff member from Apple who walked us through. So we had someone from Apple Education available to us as our mentor. I don't, well, not, it's not their official title. Okay, but did they do a deal? That, that, so what was yeah. that deal? It was just a, a, I, the I, deal I that a, a person was available. But I can tell right. you that there was help offered in many ways from a named Apple person who was assigned to help us. I I, I, I suspect I've met that named person because um, he seems to have um, oversight of um, of education in Ireland. But I've, I've also in the past been introduced to his opposite number in the UK. So I can, I can definitely say without a doubt that Apple of people dedicated to helping the educational market and that's not salespeople by the way these are uh, um you know knowledgeable people. technical yeah. people um and they definitely have those uh those functions in ireland and the uk so one would assume that uh that's probably a, a feature in many different territories yeah but you, you yeah. As, as a member of the public you're never going to meet these people because the they're not running no, ads on no, television. But equally, no, but equally, Bart, I'm not hearing about that outside of the US. I'm only hearing about these stories in the US. That's that's that was the point I was coming yeah, from. Yeah, it's not making the media. You're right. But what's happening is that at at the teacher training colleges, there's there's a lot of stuff going on. So where teachers are being trained, Apple are very intent to show up and be very involved, so that you have teachers. That's 
you know, who that's know where how was... to use iOS and stuff with the Classroom. Yeah, and I'm, I'm okay. So, so you've confirmed that it's certainly happening outside the states, but it's it's in the states where we're seeing lots of these deals. Again, air quoting. Um, but um, obviously, it's happening outside. So, I just wonder why the either Apple aren't worried about the news stories not appearing or it's not big enough for it to be news outside of the States. Well, I guess, With, so in Ireland, there's only, I think, five places that teach teachers. And so all, all, if Apple are involved in those five places, job's done, right? There's 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 two things that spring to mind here on this. I do know a good few years back, um, this is today or yesterday, it is going back a few years, Um I think it was around the launch of the 3GS and Apple did a lot of case studies on on corporate environments, if you like, that had that had gone with iOS. And one of those, and these were, you know, these were big marketing um, pushes. They were well-made videos and so on. Uh, and one of the examples in there was uh, the University of Ulster. Uh, who at the time had had gone and standardized on iOS devices for their staff. So it was more about that, I suppose, than programming. But I'm pretty sure in the last month to two months, I read something about them doing this equivalent program for teaching Swift to students in Italy. I'm pretty sure I read it on on, uh, maybe on Federico Vitici's site on Mac Stories. Uh, Federico is based in in Italy, so that might have been why, but I'm pretty sure I have heard about this happening in Italy as well. Do I I have a vague memory that when they were doing stuff in India, as well as setting up the Innovation Centre, they also got involved in education? think hmm. fake memory maybe wrong on that um the other thing just to say is that when they do these curriculums and these mater- course materials i mean that's for everyone that that's not u.s yeah. specific yeah yeah which is yeah that's where i started off with but yeah and also the, the, itunes the, u of course which which has a lot of content on it now Sorry, the last thing I was going to add with respect to specifically this this new program that they announced with the community colleges. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. Do you guys have the concept of like community colleges? Do you guys even know how that works? Could you explain here in the, the concept, and then I'll tell you if we have it or not. <laughs> okay, it's basically uh, in a lot of ways it's it's usually a a college that is local um, that students will go to before they go to university for usually two years. So you kind of start out there and not everybody does that, but it's just an option. And they also do a lot of adult education, usually on community college campuses. It tends to be cheaper tuition wise. Um, You can also generally get um, like associate or vocational degrees from junior colleges. Um, So it's it's that sort of it's that sort of setup. Sounds a little bit like our institutes of technology. We have something called RITs and they give out. They don't give out bachelor's degrees. They give out lower qualifications. Um, yep. Generally quite it. practical. There is yes, an adult exactly. system and here is, is, is somewhere, somewhat equivalent as well, the, the Vocational Education Council. Yeah. yeah. And it's not, all, again, it's not all vocational. A lot of it is um, students who are going to a university and maybe it's financially difficult or something that, that you know, they want a four-year degree, a bachelor's degree or something like that. They'll start at a, a community college doing their sort of undergraduate, uh, just general education courses. And a lot of those units will transfer to, uh, you know, a full, a full university. So there's a couple different ways that community, community colleges serve 
uh, serve their students. Um, but so the reason I bring this up is because the imp- what I see about the importance of the announcement and the deal that Apple did here is Jim, in the past, Apple has focused on universities and they focused on high schools. This is the first time I've ever I ever that I know of that I've ever seen them really focusing on something purely for this level, the community colleges. And I think it plays into um, some of the things Tim Cook has talked about with trying to bring more manufacturing uh, back to the U.S., uh, obviously, this program is specifically for creating software engineers, but what I'm hoping is it's sort of a first step to Apple investing more in trying to um, bring the idea of vocational education back to the United States, which is something that we've really moved away from. Um, and I think our our manufacturing services and a lot of our people have kind of suffered because of it. Other countries, like you guys are mentioning, you know, you have vocational schools and vocational programs. And I think that's in a lot of ways, those are encouraged for certain kinds of students and for certain kinds of people. Whereas the U S has created culture where it's, it tends to be frowned upon. Um, and that's ultimately hurt our manufacturing, uh, capabilities and things like that, along with other things. But, you know, when they talk about bringing jobs back to or manufacturing back to the U.S., Tim Cook has been very vocal in the last few years of saying, you know, it's really not about the money or the cost, which a lot of people try and say it is. It's really about having qualified uh, good workers who are willing to take those jobs and willing to work at that kind of level. And a lot of the reason we don't have those people is because our education system is kind of no longer set up to encourage or support that. I think that's some, some very interesting points there. I, my views uh, from being uh, both an employer and somebody who has, um, I guess, learned software engineering through the, through the uh, university system I'm of a strong belief that uh, programming should be taught more akin to an apprenticeship. Me too. Um, so, you know, it, it, where you learn on the job. And um, we find every year we take on some um, we take on some interns who've done a couple of years of college. And frankly, they really learn when they get when they when they arrive at our offices. That's when they get put to work. And um, they always leave every year without fail saying they learned more about programming in the couple of months they spent in our office than they did from a couple of years in college. Okay. And, I did a four-year uh, computer science degree. Um, so I, I am officially a computer scientist. And I can tell you where I learned the most valuable things that helped me in my day-to-day job. It was in the IT society after hours. It was not in the yeah. job. Because it, it's yeah. it's not practical yep. enough. And maybe, you know, I'm not yeah, saying that it says you, you need agree, people yeah. who have the theory, but you you also need to support the practice. And I don't think you have many physicists who graduate without being able to integrate, but you do have computer scientists who graduate without being able to program, and that makes my head explode. <laughs> it just shouldn't be possible. Yeah. That's, that's the skills to pay the bills there. Yeah, so the point here is that, you know, I'm really happy to see Apple focusing on that part of the education system here. Mm-hmm. And uh, to, to Gaz, Gaz's point, um, they just announced this program. It's kind of a new program for them. I, I think it's 30 schools that they're partnering with right now. So I think this is just the start of something. I could fully see them piloting this and then seeing how it goes, adapting it. And I, I would not shock me if they start to roll this program out. Uh, internationally 
in the future. But I think this is just them kind of getting started with this specific one. Well, I guess we want to see how it goes. And then if it goes well, they'll learn from it and then they can roll it out more broadly. Yeah. I mean, because 30 community colleges, is, even in the States, that's not that many. I mean, that's that's we have thousands, sure, probably tens of thousands. 74,000 you know? students is not a bad data set if you're trying to figure out if you're on the right track. Co- correct. But it's it. it was just obvious to me that this isn't this isn't a large effort this is they hand chose a couple community colleges to work with and i'm guessing that they're piloting a program and seeing how this works and they'll probably be adapting and and expanding it over time that's a pretty big pilot Seventy four thousand students is is, is, oh yeah they're serious yeah yeah. like you know they're serious yeah yeah and again i think for all those reasons i was talking about you know i think this is a, a classic case of tim cook you know making statements and then really putting resources and time and money in a place where they can maybe change some of those things for the future. Yeah. So, Okay, I'm going to move us into story number three, which is a brief nip into what I think is the story of our entire generation, to be honest. To me, this is the story of the decade, and it's just going to keep rolling on for as long as I do the show, probably. It's the <laughs> battle over privacy. I mean, it, it is the story of our times. But there were two stories in particular that caught my eye because they're just such a perfect pair. So on the one hand, we have a U.S. judge finding that it is legal to be forced to put your finger on a fingerprint reader to unlock your device, but it is not legal to be forced to enter your password in the United States of America. So somehow this arbitrary line has appeared in the Fourth Amendment. Or Fifth? Fourth? Fifth? One of the amendments. Um, And I'm sure this is going to make its way to the Supreme Court because different courts have ruled different ways, so that means it has to end up in the Supreme Court sometime, someday. But until it does, it's all a bit of a grey area. So we have this barrier where biometric... No privacy, password privacy. So how does Apple square that circle? Well, the answer is iOS 11 has a new mode (laughs) where if you basically, in a panicked manner, hammer the lock button, it disables your biometric authentication, dropping the phone back to a password. And now this is, obviously at the moment, this means killing Touch ID. But assuming the rumors are true that there's some sort of face-based unlock, it should also kill that... And wait, you know, whatever argument you might have about being forced to put your finger on a sensor, there's no way in hell you can stop a policeman waving your phone in front of your face. <laughs> right? There's, yeah. It's passive. You don't do anything and the phone unlocks. So this kind of a panic mode where you can just stick your hand in your pocket and just and dunk, it's locked down to a password, is extremely clever. And to me, it runs the gamut from... I don't feel comfortable in this neighborhood. My phone could be stolen. Right up to, I am a human rights activist in China. I mean, that entire spectrum of people are helped by this feature. Uh, so I, I, I'm i delighted to see this kind of thinking coming out of Apple for iOS 11. Yeah. Do you know how it works? So there's a, apparently you tap five times on the sleep-wake button. Um, the one thing I need to warn people about, because I mentioned this on my show and, and somebody immediately emailed me and said, make sure you tell people not to test, not to test this. So if you're running iOS 11 and you tap the home button uh, five times real quickly, it will disable the uh, Touch ID and drop you back to the passcode, but it will also sound a very loud alarm if you've set it up, immediately start to send uh, SOS alert 
messages to your contacts, your alert contacts, if you set that up. Okay, so and I believe it also it also dials nine one one or emergency services. So there's a there's like a ten second countdown mode that it goes into. So I think you can cancel it within those ten seconds. But it's certainly not stealthy. Okay, uh, well, that, that <laughs> when you're a bit gym. of thinking about it, then I'm so I don't, maybe those and there might be now. settings. There, there might be settings to control what happens. I don't know. I haven't looked at the feature, but out of the box, it sounds like those are all the things that will happen if you uh, if you activate the new SOS mode. Because we have an SOS mode on the iPhone, which is configurable. Right. To, to maybe contact people, maybe not contact people, and so forth. So it's an interesting one. Something actually slightly related, something I always tell people is if you haven't done so, take the time to set up your medical ID on your iPhone. It could save your life. Because that's the other thing that's activated by this is that your medical information is available to basically that that, that button is visible on screen. Um, oh, yeah. And, and also if, if someone goes in from the lock screen to activate the medical ID, it will also now disable the, uh, the fingerprint sensor. And I guess the idea there is if for some reason you're unconscious or something like that, somebody can't. Uh, open up your, you know, take, take your hand you. and yeah. stick it on the... And yeah. you've chosen what to publish in that SOS screen because in my case, that SOS screen will tell the person the phone number of my next of kin. It will tell the person my blood type. It will tell the person my allergies um, to medications. I don't have many of them, but I have one and that's sufficient. I don't particularly want mm-hmm. to uh, have the wrong medicines pumped into me or indeed the wrong type of blood. So... If you haven't set it up, you set it up through the health app, and I would argue it's very well worth doing. And over time, more and more people in the medical industry are becoming aware of this feature, and therefore it is becoming ever more useful. And I know people who don't wear an SOS bracelet anymore, they only actually have the details in their phones. Okay, any other thoughts? I just, I'm just i thinking about this um, face unlock feature, and... Um, We've obviously heard rumors about it, and it's 3D, so it won't be susceptible to the problem that the Samsung one is susceptible to, which is like you can hold a photograph of your face up, and it will, um, it will unlock, right? So, I, I was reading about it just today. That seems to be based on the uh, infrared camera, or, or using the infrared capabilities of a camera to map your face and decide it is you. But even that, I suspect there's more to this than we've heard yet um, my thinking but, right so they talked about this using AOR features to, to be able to scan a document and figure out how it's pointing that seems like awfully related technology to being able to figure out the plane of your face in three dimensional space and all that kind of stuff doesn't it no absolutely and there was a, a, a really good article today by Mike Rundle he's a, he's a well known um, iOS designer and um, Mike had talked about some of the things that this could bring um, that this could bring to future phones and it was things like if you think the dynamic faces that the likes of WhatsApp can do uh, you ain't seen nothing yet when, when we can actually map the face in real time but when it comes to the privacy side of it and I think you, you, you know you talk about this already uh, you know uh, you know two police officers could hold your hands behind your back and wave your phone in front of you to unlock it however I suspect it won't work. I, I suspect, um, I, I suspect the unlock will be more than just recognizing your face. It will have got to do with the angle your phone is held at, or something like that. Uh, I think the story of how this works 
Uh, we will hear about it in a couple of weeks' time, but I don't think it's going to be as simple as yes, it knows as a three D yeah. model of your, or you know, it does a a perfectly good, um, you know, your faces in front of the camera kind of thing. I think there's probably going to be more to it, and also it'd be interesting to see um, will you know how long will it be before somebody's going to do a thing where they actually produce a, a model of your face using clay or something and see if that proves that we can open the right. phone but it's going to be interesting my daughter immediately asked me she said well what about identical twins oh clever. that's a great question yeah your top marks for your daughter yeah, <laughs> I said, I, you know, I don't know. I said I would imagine that, you know, even identical twins, there's maybe some facial things, a different freckle in a different place or something, you know, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how good it is. Do identical twins have the same fingerprint? I can't remember. Mm, no, I don't so. no, I would doubt it. Yeah, so genotype and phenotype can diverge quite a lot, even in identical twins. So if it's looking at stuff like using infrared to see the shape of the veins in your face... Well, they, right. that wouldn't be purely genetic, right? That would just be some Correct. random currents in the womb or whatever. Yeah. So chances are they wouldn't necessarily yet, be identical. All I've said since this came out is they are going to have a very, very hard time convincing me <laughs> that this technology is better than Touch ID. And if they can, then I'm going to be thrilled. If they can't, I'm going to find this facial unlock thing a little bit frustrating, I think. Well, I, no, I, fair, I, I have fair, faith, so I basically, I, I am an open book. I have not made up my mind either way. I am completely neutral, and I just want Apple to tell me what they've done, explain their thinking, and convince me one way or the other. To, to be fair, I don't, don't think I ever saw a fingerprint reader that worked well before Touch ID. And I right. had them on many a Dell machine where oh, they just never unlocked for me. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, um, Touch ID we, in I, my I, mind I think is. We all... all went in skeptical when we heard about Touch ID. We all said, well, let's see if this is going to work. And it works remarkably well. And the newer versions of it work even better. So, so bringing, bringing this back round then, um, okay. a US judge uh, orders that you can be forced to put your finger on a fingerprint reader, but mm-hmm. not to enter your password. Is there any written law about facial recognition? They'll have to write that in. Because well, no, it'll have to be interpreted, right? Because the the, the yeah, constitution was written in seventeen God knows what. Correct, so correct. So something will have to be um, put in place to accommodate that. Because put I, I put a ten to one bet on that somebody said they opened my phone by showing, um, you know, by pointing at my face. If it's if we get to that point, of course we don't know yet. Um, and <laughs> I can put a ten to one bet that someone will come around and say, no, that's got to be interpreted it's got to be written down it's got to be uh, a process where we now understand that yes the police can actually get to your phone by opening it using your facial recognition if that's what happens in the future my understanding words right just just to remember the context the actual words the judge is judging on is unreasonable search and seizure and the judge has arbitrarily decided that entering password is not reasonable because A, it's unreasonable search and seizure, yep. and B, it's testimony against yourself, which is the Fifth Correct. and Fourth Amendments. And somehow a fingerprint isn't testimony, and that's kind of been okay. decided already. Right, so your face could be testament then, because that's like a public 
it's like it's not private to you is it yeah and the other question is okay but is actually going into your phone without a warrant is that unreasonable search and seizure because our phones contain such deeply private information so maybe it's not about the fifth amendment at all maybe the question of testimony doesn't come into it so it's complicated legal Uh, stuff because ultimately the constitution wasn't written for the digital age it's it's my understanding the fifth amendment does come into it with respect to the password because the theory is is that it's something that uh, you know, and yeah. is in your head. So therefore, if evidence is discovered in your phone by forcing you to basically incriminate yourself by giving up the access to that information, then therefore, I believe that's what's going on. Whereas the, the flip side is the fingerprint um, is considered physical evidence, right? Yeah. And they're allowed to, with a warrant, collect physical evidence, even though your fingerprint is still attached to you, it's still physical evidence yeah. and they can collect that. And I mean, they've sort of broached this kind of stuff with DNA. So they can take some DNA from the scene and they can take some DNA from you without your permission. It's not testifying against yourself. It's your DNA is betraying you, not your brain. Because it's physical. It's physical evidence. Yeah. So, I mean, it is complicated stuff. It's all complicated stuff. And ultimately, the Supreme Court is going to have to weigh in on this because you have judges in all the lower courts going left, right and center on this thing. So. But I'm guessing I'm guessing with the face thing again, you're out in public, your your face isn't really a private thing. Like they, they can right. collect that. Yeah. As I say, I, I'm going to be paying very, very close attention when that bit of the keynote comes up. I I I, I yeah, I say I'm completely open mind on this. I just tell me a story, explain it to me. You know, show me your workings. Okay, um, we're going to speed so, up. So just, just a quick, what about the burqa or the hijab? Is that, if we go facial recognition, that's going to be something which, yeah, anyway, moving on. Well, that, that would all depend on how important different bits of the face are, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it all, yeah, it, true. It, it all true. depends on how it works, right? Yeah. If it's all about the eyes, might still get away with it. Yeah. I, I believe it works off, it's a 3D image of uh, taking using infrared, basically infrared mesh across your face. You know, in theory, it might just it might be work. It might work fine if you yeah. have a uh, if your face is covered in any way. Actually, and think it's, about it. Like if you're my... a beardy person who shaves their beard off, your infrared may yeah. not change very much, even though your physical face may change a lot. Who knows? There yeah. were there were string references that specifically mentioned with respect to this technology um, a, a sort of obstructed view of the face or a block. I forget what they specific term was but i assumed it was for things too like imagine you're wearing sunglasses right. or you know glasses versus not glasses it, it it's going to be smart enough to get past those things i'm sure like the fingerprint reader no recognize the different bits of your finger you don't have to present the identical piece if it's looking at some sort of venation pattern across your whole face it can get away with not having bits of your face right interesting okay we shall see we, we shall see shortly indeed um so I'm going to speed things up a little bit because we're over the hour mark. Um, just want to touch on the other obvious. I think the story of 2017 is going to be Apple's push into augmented reality. And the two mm-hmm. new stories I think that we have to mention. So Apple have released a best practices guide to developers for what to do with AORKit, basically. And Google have very much come on board with Apple's strategy of having a, an AOR API that can use quote-unquote normal hardware instead of what Google were doing before, which is focusing on very specific hardware. So they're calling it AOR Core, and it's very obviously AOR Kit a la Google. 
And I mean, I don't, I don't really want to get into the argument whether it's copying or not. The way I see it, these kind of APIs takes months and months and months to develop. I don't believe it's possible for Google to have only just got the idea when Apple announced it on stage. I think they were working on this and their conference is just at a different time to Apple's conference. It's also kind of logical. Like, as a computer scientist, it seems to me the completely logical thing to do is to build the infrastructure for this and hand it out to your developers so they don't all have to reinvent the wheel. So mm-hmm. I just think it's a great thing that developers on all platforms are going to get handed APIs to take a lot of this work off them. Whether or not the APIs are as good as each other is a whole other argument. And uh, maybe in six months' time, Dermot can answer that question for us because you do do both, don't you? <laughs> we do both, yeah. We do we do develop for iOS and for Android. i got to say, though, the the uh, customers are thin on the ground for AOR apps. Really? Okay, that's interesting. So although it's a buzzword in the media, not a buzzword in, in the boardroom yet. Not really, but we we this is this is reasonably common for us. What we would find is that announcements at Google I/O or WWDC uh, normally are kind of a year off for us because our customers tend to worry about um, if you like they they look at their own stats, their own usage stats, and say, well, seven percent of my users are still on iOS nine, therefore I need to continue to support them. So um, no. Normally, what we find is um, new technology gets uh, gets adopted later than you might think. It, it's almost the opposite for indies. So, indie developers who are making money from the app store, they've got to pick up the newest thing and uh, you know keep their product fresh. Whereas uh, agencies like us, we we find almost the opposite that um, we'll get to use the technology in good time when our clients want us to use it. Interesting. Hmm. Okay, so. We have we have played with it. I will say that we have played with it, and I've 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 um I've got one of the Apple AOR demos working with um a, a specific three D model, very specific to Ireland, um for a bit of fun. But I don't want to get into it too much at the moment. Okay, well, I was going to say what tr- what you know, red blooded nerd with these things at their disposal would not have played with those APIs. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay. Um, any, anyone else want to chime in quickly on, on that? I guess it's fairly by the book. Okay, yep. so the, the last story I just want to mention in the main uh, story section is that uh, the still very much nascent smartwatch uh, market has a new uh, a new addition to it. It's only available for pre-order, but it is available for pre-order, so that counts as released, I guess. So Fitbit have entered the smartwatch space with the Fitbit Ionic. Um... I believe it was John Gruber said it was an Apple Watch hit by the ugly stick. Um, (laughs) That is my personal feeling on it, too. However, it does have some nice features. Um, So a lot of the stuff you'd kind of expect, swimming exercise mode. um, Something interesting is run detect. So basically, it'll just sort of figure out, oh, he started running. I guess I guess he wants to do a workout now. Um, Fitbit pay. Hardly a surprise to anyone. Smart notifications, yeah, okay, grand. Uh, heart rate monitor, yeah, whatever. But it's not only heart rate monitor, also SPO2, which is actually, for a lot of people, particularly who have respiratory conditions, someone ha- you know, SPO2 meter is kind of a good thing to have. And I guess also probably for athletes, knowing how much oxygen in your blood is probably a good thing too. So that's an interesting sensor Apple haven't managed to get into their current iPhone yet. So maybe it's coming in a future one. Um, multi-day battery life. I'm never sure how big of a deal that is, but you know they say that allows them to do better sleep tracking, which is 
Certainly true. It's very hard to track my sleep while my watch is charging. Um, so it's my Apple Watch has multi-day battery life. Well, two is multi, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I, I've still got the original Nike. Apple Watch, and it's terrible. Its battery life is horrendous. So yeah, the, um, the S Series Two will go. I, I can go forty-eight hours, almost forty-eight hours with with the watch. Yeah, so I, I have recharging. tracked. Over 2,000 calories of exercise today, and my watch is at 60%. So, I mean, that, that means a workouts of it was two, hour, two and a half hours on the bike, half an hour on the bike this morning. So, basically, I've tracked about four hours of workouts, and I still have 60% battery life at the end of the day. So, it's nothing like the Series Zero. It's They have done better. Um, the other subtle thing to say here, by the way, is so Apple have a Nike band, uh, Fitbit have an Adidas band. So, there you go. Or Adidas. <laughs> of course. Uh, Price-wise, $300, and you can pre-order now. So what do, what do people think? I, I think I, the, the OS, they have, oh yeah, they have their own OS, and they will have an app store at some stage. I think this is a difficult market to um, jump in on, because uh, I think the tight integration between the watch and the phone um, isn't really open up to anybody else, right? So Fitbit can't make a smartwatch that is as tightly integrated to, say, my iPhone mm. as my watch is. Now, of course, I think there is also a move to make these watches more standalone, and I think it's no doubt that in the future, you know, our phones will be on our watches effectively. Um, yeah. to, today, you kind of have that with, with handoff, but... Um, the idea of going for a run without your phone and getting full tracking and having all your music and being able to take a call if you have to take a call is probably where we want it to be. Yeah. Uh, but, but I think we're a while off that. And I, I do think that um, Fitbit will always be behind the curve a bit here or be chasing it, chasing it to some extent. Um and, you know, similarly, you know, um, Samsung have a very good wearable uh, device, but remember, they have full access to the full operating system source code, so they can do tight integration as well. You see, I, so if, I, if I were Fitbit, I really think I would have gone with, with with Google's APIs and tied myself to Android rather than trying to do my own OS, but it's not an easy choice to make. No, and I think this Ionic was a was part of a was it not a part of a acquisition of a Kickstarter project that hadn't well, they bought gone well. Pebbles, I thought so. I guess that fed into having their own OS as well to some extent. I, I believe that's what it is. Yeah, it's Pebble. So, you know, who knows? Yeah, it's. I don't know if there's room for another OS. Ask Microsoft how that went in the phone market. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't. The OS running on the watch, I don't see is 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 a bigger problem as it comes down to the like was being mentioned the tight integration you know and they're just they're going to struggle there um it needs to have at least currently integration into the into the phone ecosystem i would imagine it's easier for them on the android side but certainly on the apple side they're going to have a hard time winning over anybody from from apple watch because i'm i'm guessing anytime a device like this comes out yes it it can be made to work, but it's never as convenient or as seamless as, you know, the Apple Watch is going to be. 
Yeah, I'm not convinced these things are our um, operating system plays anymore. Anyway, I think they are platform plays. Right. Um, so yeah, you might say you're an iPhone user or you're an Android user, but another way to say that is uh, is that you you use the Apple services or you use Google services. Yeah. And you know if you know I get my music through Apple Music. I you know my cloud storage is iCloud. And if I if I happen to use Android, it'd be Google Play Music, and it would be you know Google's cloud offering. So, um, they, they, the, both of those both of those companies have a very good stranglehold now on the platform market. Uh, and I think back to your point, Bart, you know Microsoft are behind it. I don't know why anybody would want to join it. It, it just feels like um, a wearable device belongs in part of those ecosystems i could be wrong there but that's what it feels like to me and i think actually the kind of people who can who can get the most value out of a gear on ios are the people who use google's ecosystem for their cloud because they only need to have the one app on their iphone which ties google to the watch and then they actually get a pretty darn good experience the people who really can't go anywhere is the people who have an apple watch who want to use it with an android phone now, yeah. that's just a bad fit anyway, because I think you need to be in Google's ecosystem to get value out of Android. But if you're in Google's ecosystem, oh, yeah. you can do a lot more on an Apple device than vice versa. It's, it is interesting. It is all about where, which cloud contains your stuff, I think, rather than which phone. I, th- I think it'll be interesting to see how long it stays at that price point, because a lot of people are going to say $300 for not much more I can get um, uh, an, I, you know, an, an Apple Watch. And mm. boy, oh boy, it does look a lot better as well. I mean, at, the, at $150, it, it, this could be interesting. It could swear a few people over. They might get a bit of swing, but they're probably not going to be making any money. So I can understand the price point. But boy, I, they're going to have to work hard to uh, to get some uptake on that. So I'd be interested in six months' time to see if it's still at $300. Yeah, it, it is interesting. Sorry. Didn't which magazine, which magazine, the Consumer Reporters in the UK, didn't they do a recent study on all of these wearables and said they were all in uh, not very accurate? Yes. And, yeah. and they claimed the the only good ones are the ones that do heart rate as well. And there was effectively the Apple Watch was the the only one they said was actually had any level of accuracy. Yeah, the yeah. charts were very interesting on in that because the Apple one was like always the outlier. And the outlier in the best possible way. It'd have a big scatter plot of you know the accuracy of various metrics, and the one that was huddled close to the "this is correct" line was always the Apple stuff. Um, yeah, definitely interesting. Okay, um, I'm going to finish out the show with just a few other quick stories that I think we just need to mention so that they're in our collective minds. Um, Apple are continuing their courting of industry uh, with a deal with Accenture. The two companies will work together to deliver iOS iOS-based business solutions. Again, no mention of the Mac there. The, the iOS seems to be what it's all about, both in education and in business. Um, mm-hmm. Apple are continuing their openness with their terms of machine learning. They have like a little sub-site where their researchers can publish academic papers, and they are continuing to use it. Three new academic papers for your perusal. Um, they're not light reading, but I'm sure if you're in the machine learning field, they're fascinating reading, and it's good to see what the Siri team are up to. Uh, Apple have announced a big data center. Yeah, we talked about that already. Um, Apple will accept WeChat Pay in China, which I think is just Apple accepting that that is the reality on the ground in China. I don't think that's something they wanted to do, but it certainly 
clever of them to do it. I think it, I think it's quite big in China, though, isn't it? So I mean, oh, huge! Yeah. Like, they, yeah. I don't think they had a choice, but it's nice no. to see they swallowed their pride and did it. Yeah. And then finally, if you haven't heard, if you've been under a rock or something, um, mark your diary: September twelfth in the Steve Jobs Theater, the next Apple event, with the catchy tagline "Let's meet at our place." where we will get the answer, hopefully, to how this face unlock works, among with many other things. Folks, thank you ever so much for giving so generously of your time to have a little chat about all things Apple. Um, in no particular order, because I can't remember what order I introduced people in. Um, oh, no, I think I went geographically far away. So, Adam, we go in the reverse order. Do you want to let people know where they can find more of your work and uh, sure. any other plugging you'd like to do? Yeah, uh, every week you can find me a couple different places. Uh, the MacCast is is the number one place, MacCast.com, or you can just search for MacCast on iTunes. I also do a show with uh, Jeff Gamet and Michael Johnston called The iOS Show. Uh, has more of an iOS focus, so if that's your thing, check that one out. And uh, I also do the Mac Show on the British Tech Network uh, every week weekend toward the weekend thursday or friday it's going to be thursday this week and they do broadcast that live um you'll have to adjust it it's for me it's 8 a.m my time so you can catch that live or as a podcast so we get to see adam with a giant mug of coffee do we if it's 8 (laughs) a.m and then you know if you want to follow me on social media it's MacCast pretty much on whatever your favorite social media thing is excellent Gaz, do you want to let the good listeners know where they can find more of your stuff? The good listeners will also get out to hear a bumper of yourself and Guy Be Crazy in about 30 seconds. Oh, I love it. I love it. That's good. Um, okay, so as um, Bart indicated, I'm over at uh, the MyMac.com podcast uh, with my co-host uh, Guy Searle, and we just talk randomly and rubbish about Apple stuff and possibly a few other bits uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, you can contact uh, myself on the Twitters, twitter.com forward slash Gazmaz. You can also contact both Guy and myself, uh, Ga- Guy and Gaz, G-U-Y-A-N-D-G-A-Z, and lots of Zs being mentioned on the show. Or Zs. I can't even remember or, which I'm supposed to do anymore because of you guys. Z. If you don't know <laughs> which of the Atlantic I'm on anymore, you've completely made me forget. Excellent. We'll have to we'll have to choose another letter, which is uh, uh, mis- mispronounced by the... United States. It makes me forget aluminum (laughs) or aluminium. Yes. Oh, I may have already forgotten that one. Anyway, (laughs) thank you, guys. Uh, Dermot, do you want to uh, plug anything you'd like to plug? Sure. Well, the easiest place to find me is on Twitter at Derm Daily, D-E-R-M-D-A-L-Y. And if you want to take a look at the work we do, and I occasionally blog on the company site, which is tapadoo.com, T-A-P-A-D-O-O.com. Cool. And let's just say again, if you're in Ireland and you want to earn some free coffee and stuff by doing the right thing and facing your phone down, it's Let's Face It Down. Yes? Yep. Face it down. Face it down in the App Store. Cool app. And, uh, well, look, don't run over people. So it's a good thing all in all. Um, I have been your host, Bart Bouchard. Before I wrap up the show, just to say that there are a couple of ways you, the listeners, can support the show. There will be detailed show notes at lets-talk.ie. Um, and while you're there, there will be large blue buttons to support the show. There is Patreon membership, which is a supremely effective way of supporting the show because it gives me dependable income, which I can use to pay the rather dependable bills. Uh, you can also leave a review on iTunes, make a donation to PayPal. There's affiliate links for domain registrations and servers with Hover and DigitalOcean. There's a Zazzle store for some stuff where you get to be... Um, 
sort of a a shill for the show, really, by wearing stuff that's uh, branded by the show. And um, I have a bit of a, a special request for anyone who'd like to help out the show. Um, in theory, everyone on the on the MyMac Podcasting Network is supposed to play an ad at the end of their show for someone else on the MyMac Podcasting Network. And I don't think many people play my ads because I haven't made any. It's, it's very, very difficult for other podcasters on the network to play an ad that doesn't exist. So if someone is bored and wants to edit together a few clips of the show... Uh, I can provide you with the background music and whatnot, and maybe if I could get a few bumpers, then that way I could actually have my fellow members of the network actually plug these shows. And it's entirely my fault for not making any bumpers. So if anyone wants to do that, get in touch. Uh, podcasting at bartificer.net, B-A-R-T-I-F-I-C-E-R.net. Okay, so let's ask talk.ie. I've been your host, Bart Bouchot, so you can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy computing. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Five, four, three, two, one. And we are go. Go? Wait. Go where? The commercial, Guy. We're recording a commercial for the MyMac.com podcast. Ah, so we're recording the podcast now. Well, no, not now. At the moment, we're recording this commercial. So when do we go? Go where? I don't know. You started this whole go thing. The G-Men on the MyMac.com podcast. We have no idea what we'll say next.